The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University, and I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. The Rebovis Institute for New Jersey Politics and the Ryder University Health Studies Institute present this program, Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. This radio program communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. I am here today with our producer, Isaac Harris, and our guest, Courtney Pictel. Courtney is a physical therapist at an outpatient clinic in faraway Houston, Texas. Um, but Courtney and Isaac know each other um, from their time in Morgantown, West Virginia. So welcome to the program, Courtney. Thank you for having me here. It's, it's a pleasure and we're excited to have you here because we are gonna have a conversation that's one of the correlates that I think will be interesting to people listening that has to do with the, the COVID-19 pandemic that's happening, but not the virus itself. It's one of the side effects, the sidebar to the virus. And as a result of this virus, a lot of us are not going to work. We're not going to gyms. We're not going, we're not doing all the things that we used to do as part of our normal routine. So sort of we're quarantining in place. We have pods that are relatively small. Some of the things that we are not doing as a society um, involve physical activity in terms of working out, going to the gym, training. And we've seen that on college campuses across the nation where um, starting last spring, entire sports seasons were canceled. Uh, teams did not compete. Um, I have two sons who are in college. Uh, one was on a crew team, one was playing baseball. Both those seasons were completely canceled. Um, and th that sort of thing has happened. We've, we've seen delays and even in the NFL season, a, a, a shortened preseason time. And as a result of that, not just professional athletes and not just college athletes, but people in the community who have not been working out in gyms and doing these things, um, we're not maintaining their conditioning. And one of the things, and we want to get you talking, we want to talk to about injuries that are sort of return to use injuries that you might be seeing, Courtney. And so that's sort of a, 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 an overview of what we want to talk about. But before we go there, because sometimes college students listen to this program, Courtney, can you give us a little bit of your, a little bit of your training and your, um, your motivation to do it and your path in the world of physical therapy? Yes, absolutely. So I um, ended up going to physical therapy school and kind of started my career path of wanting to work with individuals with injuries when I was 14. I ended up with a back injury 
that I went to multiple doctors. Nobody could figure out what was wrong. I had a couple bone scans, some MRIs, things like that. I ended up going to see a physical therapist and come to find out I just had essentially a muscle imbalance that was leading to a little bit of joint pain. Um, don't remember exactly what was wrong. I was 14. Um, and then I kind of started to be like, well, this is a really cool area to work with. So as I went through high school, I kind of targeted that and wanting to get in there. And then I went to West Virginia University for my undergrad. I got it in um, exercise physiology. Are you from West Virginia originally? Yes, I am from Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, born and raised 20 minutes away from campus. Okay. Um, my mom grew up there and went to WVU and my grandfather um, was from there. So it's kind of been in my blood to go there. Okay. Um, and then I got an emphasis in aquatic therapy along with my undergrad. Um, I thought the pool was kind of a cool environment to work with people in. And then before I graduated, I actually got my strength and conditioning certification from NSCA. And what does that mean? Um, CSCS. Yes, the CSCS. So I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the um, American Cat Academy of, wait, National Strength and Conditioning Association, sorry. Um, and what that means is I have extra knowledge in strength and conditioning. So I use that in the clinic in, when I am programming for my athletes, for my general population, um, giving them progressive loading with weights. So making sure that I am not giving somebody too much too soon um, and causing another issue by overloading. Now that's, that's so, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. And so some of that is done in the water. Yeah, right? you can do it in the water. And so not what we wanted to focus on, but what is the benefit of having people move while they're in the water? Is so um, this is kind of a roundabout way to talk about it, but land versus water. In On land, we have gravity. And some people with pain, especially a lot that I see in the clinic, cannot tolerate doing a lot of activity on the water. They may also be so deconditioned that I work with them for 15 minutes and they've exerted all of their energy. But if you put them in the water, you have buoyancy that kind of unloads the joints from gravity. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's that kind of feeling of the water pushing up off the bottom of the surface when you get in a pool. So it gives support. Yes. Yeah. Support. Um, when you are in the water, if you ever kind of walked in the water, tried to run in the water, you know how you feel resistance mm -hmm. in that like drag force kind of um, in all directions. That's allowing you to strengthen um, muscles in all planes of motion. So you can kind of give patients support. You can let them strengthen. Um, you can just use your simple body to create such a different um, stimulus that makes them feel like they're making achievements and actually make achievements without having that stress of being on land. So, so I've heard people say it's a way of uh, strengthening muscles without putting pressure on the joints. Would you agree? Yes. yes. Um, so for example, if you have arthritis in your knee, which is common for a lot of older individuals. Um, hey. and I <laughs> He's a good-looking 29. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Courtney, one of the th questions that I have is, 
um, the aquatic exercise being, you know, uh, what you say up to your chest in water is useful, not just for old people who might have arthritic joints like me, but also from younger people who are training, like maybe somebody who's listening to this program. Yes, absolutely. So if you're chest deep in water, the water actually causes a little bit of a compression force. You don't really feel it against the chest. So it changes your breathing. Um, so it actually enhances your cardiovascular system to make you have a better endurance capacity and a better aerobic capacity when you're working out. And the other cool thing is the strengthening the drag force I talked about that we use for older individuals. You put an athlete that needs to develop some power or somebody that wants to work on getting a really high box jump or move super fast and you make them do that in the water and then take them out then you don't have that resistance and their ability to do that enhances. No, that's pretty cool. So it's, it's a nice training vehicle. And, Absolutely. Uh, I imagine a lot of people do it. But, you know, your, your certification in, or your interest in aquatic therapy and your certification in strength and conditioning, your CSCS strength and conditioning certifying specialist, whatever that stands for, wasn't enough for you. You went off and you went got a doctorate in physical therapy. Yes. So that was kind of the ultimate goal was getting the doctorate in physical therapy. Um, and I ended up staying home and at West Virginia University and doing that there. And that's a three-year program. It kind of starts the summer after you graduate and goes three straight years without much of a break. Yay, grad school. Um, and then you graduate from there. And that's in May for most programs. Um, everybody's a little bit different. And then you end up taking a board exam. So that gives me my license um, to practice. Um, so you take a national board exam and then you get your state license for wherever you're gonna work. So I got mine in Texas. Um, I did that in July. Uh -huh. And then I started a residency program in August um, after graduation. So I finished that this past August. It's, it was a year long program because I wanted to specialize in orthopedics. So you're in a, you're in a, um, a, an outpatient physical therapy clinic right now um, mm -hmm. in Houston, Texas that specializes in orthopedics. Yes. Is it adult orthopedics, children? Does um, most of my population is like 15 to 90. Mm -hmm. um, but recently, I would say since kind of school started back up during this pandemic, I've actually had a little bit more of a younger population. I think the youngest that I've treated was seven. Um, but most of the, I only treat orthopedic injuries. Um, I don't do pediatric physical therapy, but if a child has an orthopedic issue, I can treat that. But majority of my population, um, if you kind of look at it the day, most of my older adults are in the morning and then come like four o'clock and later i start treating a little bit more uh teenagers kids things like that excellent excellent i want to hear more about that and we're going to connect what you do to covid after we take a break for some brief underwriting announcements you're listening to help 411 on 1077 the bronc and 1077 the bronc talk this is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 
1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, recording from the remote Bronx studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, here with Port Courtney Pictel, a physical therapist in an outpatient clinic in Houston, Texas. And we uh, heard in the last segment a little bit about Courtney's background on her path to physical therapy and how she now works primarily with orthopedic patients. Um, and we want to move along and talk about that in a, and we're, eventually we're going to connect it to COVID, but in a little bit more background, what are the kinds of injuries that an orthopedic physical therapist would usually work with, with the, I guess, the teenage to adult population that seems to be your emphasis, most yes. of the patients? Uh, everything. I know that's very broad, <laughs> everything. Um, we can treat concussions, uh, sport-related concussions, other concussions. Um, we can treat vestibular disorders, so vertigo. I don't know if you've heard of BPPV. Um, those are some things we can kind of treat. Balance. Okay, so tell, tell us what that is, please. BPPV is benign, proximal, I don't remember the other P, <laughs> um, vertigo. And it essentially is, have you heard of the crystals in your ears? Yes. Okay, so the crystals in your ears sit in a little canal, and sometimes they can get dislodged out of that little canal and get stuck in a little spot, and it causes some vertigo depending on how you roll or stand up or things like that. So there's very specific maneuvers that you do to kind of get them put back into place. And so just a little, I'll just provide a little physical physiology background. Your ear has semicircular canals. Your ear is not just about converting molecules in the air into sounds. Your ear is also involved with balance, which is why you can stand and sort of spin really quickly and stop, and you feel like you're still moving a little bit, is because there are fluid in these crystals that Courtney's talking about that sort of move in this fluid and they stimulate nerves, the, you know, the vestibular part of the, you know, cranial nerve number eight. And so sometimes these things get stuck. And so yeah. it makes it hard to, for somebody to detect um, acceleration and rotation. Um, and it can be disturbing if you are that person. Did yeah. I, did, I kick, did I capture it? Yes, did essentially. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to add to that. My aunt actually just got diagnosed with uh, vertigo. Uh, uh, right after Thanksgiving, uh, we got a scary phone call that uh, she fell and um, she was not feeling well. She was in the hospital for about a day, about two days. Um, she's yeah. a little, she's on the older side, so but she's okay now, and she's doing going through the treatments. Well, good. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's definitely uh, it, I didn't know about it until she got it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is something interesting. And so she's seeing somebody like Courtney. Yes. Uh, do treatments to helpfully get her balance back, so she does not fall again. Yes, only on a limited basis though, right now, because um, uh, unrelated, she just started going back to school. Uh, she's a, she's retired. She's 70 years old. She wanted to go get her degree finally. So she's a junior at UC Davis. So she's like on a limited basis because of COVID and also because she has online classes as well. So, Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. So, so Courtney, get back, get back to you. Yes. I, I'm sure, I'm sure Isaac Zant's a wonderful person. But we'll <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're talking about physical therapy. So you were mentioning you see some people who have sports-related injuries, some people who have sort of these physiological, mm -hmm. that, you know, that are not related to a specific incident, injuries. Yes. Um, uh, surgeries. So okay. the very common ACL tear, um, knee replacements, hip replacements, hip 
labral scopes, rotator cuff repairs, um, laminectomies of the spine, you name it, we probably see it. Um, ankle sprains from sports. Uh, we also see uh, low back pain. That's a very common one. Not only... Yeah, especially uh, in those old people you were making fun of before, right? Yes. They're uh, nodding, yeah. <laughs> they are some of my favorite patients to work with. Okay. But not only in older adults. Um, I've had a 13, 14-year-old with back pain um, before. So just depends. It's a different type of back pain. Um, so that's what we kind of do is figure out what's causing the pain. Um, in patients that don't have surgery. So they come in and say, your knee hurts. I got to figure out why your knee hurts, what's causing the problem. Um, and then I think that covers most of it. So in terms of some, a patient who comes to your, to your clinic, um, it, I, would they expect, I'm sort of thinking of somebody who's, who might be thinking about this, is a visit to a PT a one and done? Or is not? No. Okay. Um, nine times out of 10, no. Sometimes it can be. Um, so like the cases of BPPV, normally the UCOM once, maybe twice, and it tends to be a one and done. Um, most of our treatments, your first session is me figuring out what's causing your pain and how I can help in getting you started on a program to start working on at home. And then I decide um, and I kind of collaborate with the doctors how much therapy you need. Um, most of the surgeries that we see, I can treat surgeries for up to like three or four months. Sometimes ACLs, we're treating nine to 12 months, depending on how demanding the sport is that they're trying to get back into, if it is somebody. I've also seen people for like three or four weeks um, with smaller acute injuries. And then every once in a while, we'll see somebody like once a week and then every couple weeks trying to get them kind of established on a home program. Um, but normally therapy is not one and done. It's an effort on my part to get you set up on a good program. And it's also an effort on that individual's part to do stuff at home to kind of maintenance and get back to where they were. And so I can imagine part of your practice is not just the uh, mechanically getting patients to move. There's a mm -hmm. psychological component to this. Where you, have to, you have to build their motivation. Um, sort of like, you know, a quote unquote, a coach. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of education and kind of motivation and trying to figure out what somebody likes to do and how I can integrate that into their treatment to make it very specialized in something they enjoy. Because people don't like to do what they don't want to do. Like, mm -hmm. if they don't enjoy it, they're not going to do it. So I really try to make sure that everybody kind of enjoys what we're doing and educating them on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and that way they feel co more comfortable and understanding of what's going on and that their exercises and the things I'm ha doing have a meaning. Yeah. And, um, I can imagine, and I know with me, when I exercise, um, uh, if you do the same thing over and over again, it can be, it can be boring. Absolutely. And that, and that decreases one's motivation. Even if you know it's good for you intellectually, the motivation to continue is not so good. So how does a physical therapist deal with that? Um, variety, being creative. It's, it can be very challenging sometimes um, to try to come up with new ideas to target the same thing. But as you do it more and more, it gets a little bit easier. Um, but I kind of pick plans for patients. So... Um, 
uh, one day I'll do something and then the following day or the following session, which is probably like later in the week, I'll try to target the same things that I'm doing, but in just in a slightly different way. So Some, it's not it's not one size fit all in correct. career therapy. Not everybody who is rehabilitating from let's say an ACL surgery is going to be given exactly the same movement exercises. Absolutely not. Is it is it harder to motivate uh, when you get into those when you get those slumps with your regular patients or even athletes? Which uh, which demographic is a little harder to keep motivating if it's a longer per longer injury? I think sometimes the athletes are a little bit harder um, mm -hmm. because a lot of people, um, if we're talking surgery, go into surgery and come out and don't realize how long the recovery is. Mm -hmm. um, but the tissues in our body have to heal. And so there's this certain point where the therapy is very simple, but it's very important to let the tissue start to heal and kind of assist in the healing process that the surgeon started. And that's probably part of the hardest thing. And then athletes tend to get a little bit more excited because we start to get to do more and they really enjoy what we're doing. And then they want to go back to sport, but they're not ready because they haven't run, they haven't jumped, they haven't passed the test that they need to to get back to sport. And that's where they start to get really um, lose their motivation because they feel like they're getting held back. So a lot of it is I have to just kind of educate them and explain to them why they can't go back yet because part of it is from preventing another injury or re-injury and right. part of it is continuing to let those tissues heal. Very um, yeah, and some of the other the like athletes that have overuse injuries, I have to pull them back because they want to keep going and that's the problem. That's why they are in that kind of predicament. And it is more of a pulling them back and holding back um, to let the tissues calm down so we can get back. So it's and, kind of vice versa, um, but it tends to be more of the athlete population. And, and that can, I can imagine that can happen when the, 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 the mental aspects of rehabilitation exercise don't match what's happening with the physiology. Yes. You know, because just because it doesn't hurt doesn't mean you can go back to full participation using that the, the athletic term is that correct? correct yes yeah so um let's say for example you had your acl um fixed and it's been three months and you're not having any pain um you can't go back to sport yet because you're probably not strong enough you probably haven't jumped or ran yet um and if you have you're probably not passing we do jumping tests mm -hmm. um that kind of we look at both sides of the body and you have to be within 90% of your good leg to let you go back to sport. And we also do strength testing that does the same thing. So essentially I want you 90% symmetrical before I let you go back to sport. And in the old days, they used to call that the, the gap between perceived versus actual sport readiness. Is that still a term that's used? I have not actually heard that term, that's a, but that's it makes term, sense so really from everything that I know. Yeah. Um, they feel like they're ready to go back, but physiologically, strength-wise, they're not. Um, and, and, and that's that's an excellent segue. What's going What's going to be into our next segment? But first, let's take a break for some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Help Four One One and One Zero Seven Seven The Bronx and One Zero Seven Seven The Bronx dot com. 
This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronxcom From the remote Bronx studios, you're listening to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp here with our student producer, Isaac Harris, and our guest, Courtney Pictel, a physical therapist. Um, Courtney is in private practice in a clinic in Houston, Texas, and uh, she is telling us a little bit about against her career and what a physical therapist does. Um, and at the end of the last segment, I used from part of my education, the, the old words that were talked about in terms of, um, of getting um, athletes back to participation or it could be anybody back to doing what they want to do is the gap between somebody's perceived versus actual readiness. And that comes out of my training. I was a student um, athletic trainer when I was in college. And so that's what we used to call it. You know, in your brain, you want to go back, but your body hasn't healed enough where you can go back. And in in the athletic training room, that becomes an issue um, that, you know, you have to deal with coaches and all that that sort of stuff. But this is important that that where I want to go with this is um, our country is in a COVID-19 Um, lockdown. The pandemic has stopped people from participating in a lot of things they used to participate in. And some of that involves athletics and training. And it's not just athletes. It's the, you know, I know for myself, I am not walking as much as I used to walk. You know, uh, we're spending much more time at home. I'm not walking around campus. I'm not walking between classes. I'm not walking to my lab. All these things I used to do. And what happens when people stop moving, they go through uh, sort of an exercise deficit disorder to make fun of it. It's, and I, you used the word, Courtney, earlier, um, deconditioning. Mm-hmm. That happens when people were moving and then they stop moving. And so I'm gonna ask you two questions and I'm gonna let you go with it. I'm gonna ask you from a physical therapist's perspective, can you explain deconditioning? And what happens if people who become deconditioned start moving again? And then they might end up seeing you. So I'm going to throw that to you and, and, and let, you, let, you, let you run with it. So deconditioning essentially is when your body starts losing strength and aerobic capacity, your ability to kind of work out and breathe or move and breathe and not get out of breath due to bed rest or being sedentary or things like that. Is it the um, fancy word for being getting out of shape? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's a fancy word for getting out of shape. Um, so you stop working out, you stop lifting, you stop running, you stop doing anything that you enjoy doing, and your muscles aren't used to the stimulus. Not only the muscles, the tendons that kind of connect the muscles to the bones. Your bones aren't getting stimulated like they need to. Your heart's not getting stimulated like you need to, and then you end up kind of out of shape. Um, and then when you try to go back into working out, you can take one of two paths. You can start gradual and build up, which is what most people try to do in kind of a normal environment. Or what I've seen recently with this COVID pandemic is people are trying to start new things that they've never done before really fast or go back to the level that they were 
working out at or practicing at or being active at way too quick. And then you end up with what we call overuse injuries. Um, so you're- And then they become your patients. Yes, and then you come <laughs> see me and we have a long talk about how you did stuff too fast and now you're hurt. Well, I want to point out too, you're in the world of physical therapy and people's injury and you, you, know, you want to have an exciting career, you want to have a challenging career, but in order for you to be excited and challenged, you are, it's at the expense of other people's misery. Yes. And so that's just something if you're going to go into physical therapy, you just have to be aware of. <laughs> yeah, I don't like when people come into me hurt. I really enjoy getting them back to what they're doing and then them being happy about it. Yes. It's right. kind of one of those give and take type of things. <laughs> I'm sorry you're here. You give me a job and I'm really glad that I can help you. Yes. It is a joy to see somebody go back and do what they want to do or what they are trying to do. And and so so in your professional practice, what are you seeing about people who have become deconditioned and are now either trying things that they hadn't trained for or are coming back and think they can just start up at their at their the levels that they were at before? Because deconditioning can happen. It doesn't happen like in a couple of days, but I, I've seen, I remember, you know, in in the matter of three, four, six weeks, there can be, you know, changes in um muscle physiology, mm -hmm. changes in bone physics. There's a whole bunch of cardiovascular changes that can take place that contribute to deconditioning. De deconditioning. Yeah, so um, random kind of nerdy fact, your muscles lose strength four times as fast as they build them. So really? the whole time you've been in quarantine has been like four times the amount that you need to get stronger again. So people are trying to, whatever, back squat a hundred pounds and they did it before quarantine and they try to go back and then end up with like a knee injury because it just hurt because um, they can't do it now. So we're seeing a lot of people coming in with tendon issues, um, tendinopathies. That's kind of one of the common things that we see um, as an overuse injury. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of like jumper's knee or Achilles tendinopathy. Um, well, tell, tell us about what jumper's knee is. So it's uh, patellar tendinitis. So it's the tendon that connects your kneecap to the bottom part of your mm -hmm. knee. Um, it gets really aggravated with jumping and running activities and squatting activities and things like that. But essentially it, um, it comes from the muscle, the quad mm -hmm. muscle in the front of your leg. Um, and if you do too much too soon with that quad muscle, which you need to run, jump, squat, anything like that, go up and down stairs, that tendon can get really, really aggravated. And then it's really hard to get calmed down. Is, is that, I could be wrong on this, but you're, you're making me think of something they used to call in my, in my, in my youth, Osgood Schlatterus syndrome. Is that related to that? that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it's the same tendon. Osgood Schlatterus is in children though. Um, and so kids whose growth plates aren't closed, there's a growth plate at the end of that tendon. Um, and when they go through a growth spurt or increase activity really quick, the tendon actually pulls on the growth plate and then they end up with like a bump on the front of their knee. So tendinopathies occur more in adults, okay. Oshgood slaughters and what we call apophyseal injuries. Um, occur more in kids. So you can also do it um, at the end of the Achilles. Kids can have Severs disease. Um, which, is, which is the other tendon that you, 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 you mentioned briefly. Mm -hmm. the, the Achilles, Achilles tendon. tendon. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the tendons are stronger in kids than bones are. Um, that's why kids end up with bone injuries and adults end up with tendon injuries. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That, that is interesting. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, man. yeah, we're seeing a lot of tendon injuries. Um, and to fix a tendon injury, you have to stop your activity to or modify it in some way that it's not causing pain in the tendon. And then we have to build back up the tendon so it can withstand what you're trying to do. Hmm. So, so is that connected to the any of the aquatic therapy you were mentioning earlier? Could it yeah, be? You can. I don't use aquatic therapy as much for that, but you definitely can. Um, I like to give people land-based therapy if I can, because up north where I'm from, people don't have as many pools. That's right. Down here in Texas, almost everybody has a pool, um, but some people don't. So if I can give you something to do on land and you can tolerate it, I'm going to do that because that's where we spend most of our day. Right. We don't spend most of our day in the pool. Um, it's a good tool. I try to keep people on land though, if I can, that's just kind of my rule of thumb. Got it. Now, are you seeing in your practice, uh, when people are presenting, uh, which, which is, I guess you're seeing more of these injuries and I guess for a while, at least a lot of voluntary surgeries are not being done. So mm -hmm. you might've seen, you might've seen less like surgical rehab. Um, um, what has been the most common, like, what's the mindset of the the people who are coming in like oh my god i you know i tried to run again i tried to squat again i tried to throw again and they i hurt my elbow i hurt my shoulder i hurt my knee and like can you describe what's happening and like what you would what do you like how do you start that conversation with somebody who shows up like that so i normally go through my eval before i kind of like have that conversation at all because i want to make sure i know what's causing the problem and once they kind of start telling me and I figure out what's going on, it is a difficult conversation to have because people can get very frustrated. Um, I've had patients kind of take it one of two ways. They get very, very frustrated and kind of get discouraged and don't feel like they can get back to doing the thing they want to do, whether it's trying to Peloton or throw or whatever they're trying to do. They think that they hurt themselves because they were doing that. And that's not necessarily the case. They just did it too quick, right? Um, they just weren't ready to quite do it yet. Um, and then I have people that completely understand. And they're like, okay, this all makes sense. I'll, and then when I tell them, let's kind of cut back on activity and build up their tolerance to doing all this, they completely understand and agree. Some people have a harder time with that and don't listen to let me not have you run 12 miles tomorrow. <laughs> um, and they go run 12 miles and then they tell me their knee hurts the next day and I was like well <laughs> so um, it's hard because people get frustrated it's it's not something easy because you don't want to be told that you can't do something I'm one of those people <laughs> right? I'm, I'm the same way um, I, I do CrossFit recreationally um, and if something's bugging me I'm like I don't want to stop doing this but I know because I know the things that I know as a PT, I need to modify things to let something heal and calm well, down. Well, you bring up a good point. And um, being one of those older people, I move sometimes and it hurts. So what do I do? What I do is I adjust my movements to stop the pain. Yes. But I know intellectually that can sometimes make worse. injuries worse or cause injuries to move to other places. You're nodding. Do you, do you, see, do you see that sometimes? Yes. So 
it hurts for you to squat down on one knee or something. So you do it with the other leg and now the other leg is starting to hurt because it's just not strong enough to do what you need to do, for example. Um, so I definitely see that um, when people start using canes and things like that. Um, one side of their back can start hurting because they're not using it right or things like that. Um, it is common and I like modification of activity as long as it doesn't cause other problems. And that so that's part of yeah, the and related to the symmetry idea yes. that you, you mentioned real yep. earlier. And um, it'd be a, it's a good thing to follow up on, but we have to take a break for some underwriting. Uh, we'll be right back with Courtney. You're listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 TheBronx.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 The Bronx.com. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Rider University. Welcome back to Health 411. Isaac Harris and I um, are talking with Courtney Pictel, physical therapist in Houston, Texas. And Courtney is telling us um, some of the injuries, sort of the back-to-use injuries or the injuries that are happening to people who, um, as a result of the COVID um, pandemic, uh, have sort of deconditioned a little bit, but they're jumping back in. Um, and we're going to hear more about that. But in the break, Isaac, you mentioned you had some uh, questions uh, for Courtney that you wanted to put out there. Yeah, I, I do got a couple questions for Courtney because um, I was one of those people that tried to jump back into early, like working out. I ended up getting, I ended up feeling like some tendon issues with my Achilles and I had to stop running heavy. Um, I would do a lot of heavy like sprints and like hill, hills and like trails and stuff uh, before it got too cold. I had to stop running for a while. So I wanted to ask you, Courtney, like what's the best advice you can give to someone that is stubborn regarding to like, uh, regarding to the whole like adjusting back and modifying activities? Because I know for me, I was definitely one of the stubborn ones. I'm like, no, I want to get back into it. But even though, but if I keep going the way I am, I'm going to hurt it more or like prolong the injury even more. Yeah. And essentially that's the best conversation I have with somebody. So I can get your pain calmed down and I have the tools to help you to do that. But the first thing that you have to do is we have to cut back your activity and if you are only running and that's the only thing you like to do, that's going to be a little bit harder for me and you to both do. But if we can get you doing something else like swimming or something that anybody kind of enjoys another activity that doesn't provoke your symptoms, I can still keep you in shape while we let whatever injury it is calm down. And that's a, you bring up a very, very important thing. And I don't, I want Isaac to follow through on that, but you, you use the word cut back on activity but we've also used the terms of deconditioning, mm -hmm. right? And so is cutting back on activity possibly worsening the, the, the feelings of deconditioning or losing the shape that you were in, which is what Isaac is afraid about. He doesn't want to not be in shape when, he, you know, when all this is over. Yes, so I guess modification of activity would be a better word. So I need to modify the activity that you're doing that's causing your pain and causing the symptoms or right. whatever your issue is to something else that doesn't do that. So if running hurts you, 
let's try swimming instead. And that still gives you like that feeling of aerobic activity and kind of feeling like you're in shape without running. Or let's try the elliptical or a bike or something else that you can do and modify your activity and keep working on your cardiovascular things instead of let's try to keep running and provoking your pain. So it's more of a modification of the pain and the activity that's causing the pain as opposed to cutting back on activity. Okay, yeah, no, I wanted to, thank you for answering that. I wanted to ask that because, like, I can only imagine, like, okay, it's one thing if, like, if it's you or me or Dr. Carpenter, just, like, not exactly, like, competitive young athletes, like some high school athletes or some college athletes, but it's another thing. I can only imagine what a college athlete is feeling like or, like, a high school athlete is feeling like, man, it's my senior year. I can't have tendonitis money. I can't go through all of this. And I know that, and now I understand kind of like where you're, where you're saying, oh, no, it's a little more difficult with athletes. I thought, me personally, I thought it'd be more difficult with regular adults that are used to, like, routine, you know, mm-hmm. that are like, oh, I get up every morning, I walk for 30 minutes, or I go do spin class every twice a week. So I thought it'd be more difficult with more routine adults that have, like, this is my structure, this is what we do, this is what I do. Yeah, as long as we're willing and they're willing to try something different, we can be pretty creative in what they do and trying to modify their routine short term so they can get back to their normal routine long term. Ah, okay. Because I don't want to pull, I don't want anybody to go back to sitting on the couch. And I want you to kind of continue activity because that's what our bodies want as humans. We want to move and be active and we don't like to sit for long periods of time. Um, So I want people to do it, but at a level that is safe and manageable. I'm for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we all are for it. And I'm going to point out too, um, the kinds of interventions that Courtney is pointing out to us um, thus far are not... um, um, drug connected they're not medicine connected and and we and a large we've had conversations on this program before and it's sort of we our culture is one where people go to get medical help and then they want pills to make them feel better they we live in a culture where people want a pill or a vaccine vaccine to heal everything wouldn't it be great if we had an injection that Courtney could give that would make everybody feel like they were in shape you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you're nodding. Is now is that sort of something you you have to deal with? Is sort of that pill culture that we live in? Yeah. Um, so the I work in association with a hospital, and most of the referrals we get are from doctors in our um, in our hospital system. And I have to say, a lot of them are really good at managing pain with physical therapy necessarily as opposed to medications. Um, There are instances where medications are necessary, um, where somebody is stuck with um, inflammation in the knee or inflammation in the shoulder and their pain is out of control that we can't do the things that we need to do to get them better. And inflammation Um, makes movement impossible sometimes because it yes. will, will disrupt the integrity of the joint and yes. you, can't, you just can't yeah. move. Right? Um, if your knee is completely swollen, it's really hard to bend. Um, if your ankle is really swollen, it doesn't want to move. So kind of getting that uh, inflammation and inflammation can be associated with a pain response as well. So you can have some pain with that inflammation. If we can get that calmed down and get you moving, then we don't have to need the medication. Um, and some, there, there are injections that people use um, for inflammation as well, steroid injections. I don't prescribe or administer any of those. 
but the doctors do. So the doctors read through our information of what we're doing with them. If we have any concerns about that, we communicate with them. But medication is not the end all be all to pain management and things like that. And I really try to emphasize to my patients that movement is what's going to help you. Strengthening is what's going to help you. Getting back to activity is what's going to help. Um, and the medication is maybe just a short term thing, but we need to, you don't want to rely on that for the rest of your life. Um, and, so, and so a medicine that would allow you to move is not necessarily a good medicine all the time. I'm, I'm thinking of a, some corticosteroids for, for yeah, pain those could cause long term damages um, in the tendons. So steroid use can be associated with tendon ruptures um, and just overall health. Putting that into your body long term is not fun. There are medical conditions that have to have it that have to have steroids long term, um, but that's for just something that's an acute injury or something that's just more of a, a overuse injury or athletic injury or activity injury we shouldn't be using those long term to kind of help manage symptoms cool. um, because it's just going to cause other effects that can, can as a practicing physical therapist and one you mentioned one of the things you do is design programs for the patients to work on not that not only when they're with you but they can work on things at, at home or wherever, wherever you know wherever they you know wherever they are can you tell if a patient is not doing that when they come in yeah i want to know this one <laughs> <laughs> don't lie <laughs> absolutely every time i see a patient my so i quiz them i ask them how their exercises are going on at home and if they tell me good i ask them what they're doing okay. if they name off their exercises i know they have them and they I know they're doing them if they can't name them off I know they're not doing them. <laughs> they're not doing them. You can at least show me. If they can't remember the name, that's fine. But if you can at least show me what you're doing, I know you're doing it. Well, are, are people honest with you? Or is it like one of those things where people know what the answer they should be giving is, where they might not necessarily give the truth? <laughs> Normally, my response is, don't lie to me. Are you doing your exercises at home? And they're like, you want the truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and nine times out of 10, they'll be honest. Um, every once in a while, if I'm trying to do something, and so for example, um, after knee surgeries, the knee tends to get stuck in flexion. It gets a stuck bent, and I need to get it straight for the muscles to work properly. If I tell somebody to prop their heel up, and it, they come back and it's worse bent, and it's not straighter, then I know they're not doing what they need to be doing. Um, so a lot of times I can tell when looking at them if they're actually doing what they're doing. Um, and that's part of physical therapy is, it's not just me doing the work, it's the patient. Um, and I think that's a big misconception with a lot of things is it's a lot in their hands too. So I give you the tools to help manage your symptoms and your pain so you can have that independence with doing that. Cool, excellent. So it's like the old saying, <laughs> it's like the old saying that Dr. Karp, uh, you can only, you only lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. You can't make a drink. Absolutely. Yep. And the patients should be there for their own benefit too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and we are, we only have like a, a couple minutes left, Courtney. Um, if do you have recommendations or things that you think people should be thinking about um, as hopefully our country comes out of the COVID-19 pandemic and people start moving again in whatever mm -hmm. their chosen kind of move? Yeah, I guess my biggest recommendation is get out there and move. Um, and start slower instead of jumping back in seven days a week to heavy intense activity. Um, maybe try a couple days a week um, at like 30 minutes a day 
Um, standard recommendations, American ACSM recommendations, American something of sports medicine, um, recommends 30 minutes of activity five days a week. That's moderate activity. So that's 30 minutes of a little bit of a jog, some squats, um, push-ups, something like that, just nice and easy five days a week. Um, just to get your heart rate up. So that's a good place to start. Um, and then you can build from there. Um, a lot of sports classes and things like that are trying to bombard things and push everything in because seasons have been delayed and classes have been delayed and things like that. And my recommendation is to start trying to get back into shape prior to having those practices or whatever you're trying to do. So if you want to do flag of football at your college campus, make sure you're doing something before you go try to do flag football. Make sure you're running and getting into the gym and doing some strength training. And if you have any questions, find somebody that can help you. Um, find a trainer that can give you some tools to kind of work on from that. There are trainers everywhere. Most college campuses have them at their rec centers. Um, get with those guys and see if there's stuff you can do at home if the gym's closed or things like that to just get back into that activity instead of jumping from zero to 100%. Excellent. Um, thank you, Courtney. This has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, we, we are sort of running out of time. Uh, 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording live from the remote Bronx studios. Thank you for listening to L411. This program is part of Ryder's effort to bring people together to address all issues associated with healthcare. We'd like to thank today's guest, Courtney Pictel, a physical therapist from Houston, Texas. Um, thank you, Courtney, so much. You've been a great guest. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Thank you, Courtney. Appreciate it so much. If you have questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.